What does healing mean to you? In the kingdom of God, that is, you're always at home. See, Mm -hmm. you know, when you always have a home, a secure home, no matter what is going on in your life, then it's well with your soul. And that's a healing, you know, that's a place that you can always go to for healing. Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Episode 47, Tony. 47. We're almost to episode 50. We're on the on the path. It's been a, been a slow go, really, sure. the last 18 months. We haven't been as prolific as those first uh, couple of years. A lot has happened. Yeah. A lot has been happening. And uh, are grateful that our uh, followers, our listeners, have been um, patient. And um, we're getting new listeners now. Things are happening behind the scenes. That's right. It's kind of like, you know, you plant a seed. Yeah. Okay. Like a pollinator seed. What would be a good seed that you don't see for a while? You don't see for a while? Mustard seed. Although, is that a pollinator? Uh, I don't really know the mustard plant very well. Uh Uh-huh. It's small. But it's a seed nonetheless. You plant a seed. there's, There's a lot of growth. Yeah. But you don't; it doesn't sprout. Some of those native plants, the, the roots are longer than mm-hmm. the green above. Been a lot of roots growing. A lot of roots growing. Yeah, for revealing voices. When the flowers begin to emerge, what? How beautiful will they be, Tony? Oh boy, we're going to have a global podcast. We're going to have people who are uh, nationally known advocates like Laura Pagliano that you've heard on our program in season one, uh, who's going to co-host a series on brain illness advocacy uh, with uh, Kathy Day, who's a family liaison for Treatment Advocacy Center, and Kevin Early, who's an artist and um, global advocate, peer recovery specialist, and mm-hmm. Catherine Nichols, who's a former clinician at Johns Hopkins in private practice with people with serious mental illness, and Janet Hayes, who's going to be um, running for sheriff. She's currently running for sheriff in New Orleans okay. um, Parish. Uh, Orleans, Paris. Tony is serious about this. Stuff. He he flew to Baltimore. <laughs> the man flew to Baltimore to meet with Laura Pagliano. That's right. We had uh, a great dinner out at uh, a restaurant of her choosing. She hosted uh, Susan and I for a uh, gathering of uh, people with uh, impacted by brain illness, family members, yeah, and. Uh, it was uh, it was a nice gathering. We've we've made a uh, a good friend, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll be a partner in podcasting. Um, it, it really is amazing when you form these relationships, whether it be 
through podcast or through a Facebook group, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of these things, you just mainly uh, see people typing words, right? Or you That's just right. hear their voice, and, and then all of a sudden they're flesh and blood in front of you, and it's... Mm-hmm. Have you had that opportunity to meet someone that you'd only known from from social media? Um, you, you met the Queen Bee from Bee City. I met the Queen Bee. That was a little different, but I I did go to a uh, like 100th episode of the Inglorious uh, Pastors yes. over in Bloomington. Yes, and it was like the people from the Facebook group showed up from all over. <laughs> really, the, the U.S. in this small little room in uh-huh. Bloomington, Indiana, and it was like surreal. Yes, you know, like a Facebook group becomes people in the same room together, it's, and it's it's rare, but really good energy. Yes, yeah, those uh, affinity relationships of affinity now are uh, becoming the way in which the world interacts and engages right. each other. Um, right. geography and i think you know this is something i talk to my pastor friends about you know geography where you have neighborhood churches there'll there'll always be a need for that don't get me wrong but ministry in its broadest sense i talked with the seminary president at lpts and you know they're training global ministry leaders and um you know it's a lot more than just you know putting building the building and expecting people to come when you put all welcome on the sign. I know, I know. (laughs) We had a successful Indiegogo campaign. It's wrapping up, as I record this, wrapping up in the next four days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Raised money to uh, spread the message, um, prepare for a professional podcast production. And also we um, have built a new studio um, yes. Studio E will be retired. Yes. Um, or repurposed, perhaps. For where? What will Studio E become? Have you got a plan for a rompus room or a weightlifting? I, I I do not know. <laughs> I don't know. I played some foosball last night with some buddies, and I was like, I can put a foosball table down here. <laughs> there you go. But we have a new studio that's going to be the. Uh, the, uh, a room that has been enclosed beneath my stairs on yes. at my house uh, the, in the basement. And uh, thanks to the legacy of the, the Rippy Riddle uh, family and the tradition of Eric Rippy Riddle, uh, who has meant so much to Revealing Voices, yeah. it is now dubbed Ripple Studio. Ripple Studio at the Roberts Estate. That's right. The Roberts Manor. <laughs> well, so we, I mean, we haven't explicitly said this, but I am stepping down at episode 50. So uh, you know, this episode and three more, and then I'll, I'll be stepping back. Uh, I'll still definitely be a friend of the podcast and probably find myself back on on occasion, I'm sure. We'll have a call-in line where you could call in and complain about <laughs> You'll have a special hotline. I could have, the, like, Eric's... The Ripple hotline. The Eric Haiku could be a... That's true. 30-second uh, moment on, on the podcast. We'll definitely be checking in on Eric's progress, but... Yeah. 
he uh, is being launched into environmental stewardship. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say for our listeners, you know, just to know, I, I do have a full-time job, right? I'm in marketing for a local corporation here that focuses on, on furniture, uh, furniture development here in Columbus, Indiana. And I, I also am very invested in the in environmental work going on in town. And then Revealing Voices podcast and men mental health advocacy is an another big part of my life over the last five years and it's just it's become too much and um, Tony is full on full time the man in mental health ministry and you know deserves to have the attention to, to make this podcast a global podcast I mean that's that's real and I'm really happy I've been able to carry the torch thus far with you well, it's been wonderful, and uh, it wouldn't I wouldn't be possible without without you and your contributions. I'm not happy to see him leave, but I I feel uh, uh, I can accept that he's going to save the world one tree at a time, mm. or one plant, as the case may be. One plant at a time, <laughs> yeah. So a big part of my life over the last couple of years has been working with people in the city and volunteers to make. Columbus a B city, which is um, if you go to bcityusa.org, you you can find out about that. But we are the first uh, of these B cities, B E E cities in Indiana, and that's been really exciting. And there's a lot we have to do to maintain that that status as a city. And so next year we have a about a mile and a half long trail we're establishing on the north side of town that's a, a pollinator path. So uh, that's going to be a big endeavor. We're going to launch a fundraising campaign in the spring, early like February probably, and then really be working to make that a, a really nice place. Kind of integrating with the people trail system and going mm -hmm. through the Ivy Tech and IUPUC uh, college campuses uh, and, and through the air, par air park property. Um, Columbus is already a beautiful city. We've we've been voted like the sixth best architectural city in America, and certainly for our size and in the Midwest, mm -hmm. we would be number one. Uh, and now with this thrust for environmental, um, yeah, pollinators, we're we're, we're yeah, it, it's going on the map. It really does feel like a, a calling for me, like mm -hmm. a environmental stewardship as the primary calling upon my life is really what it feels like. And it's one of those things where it, it's hard to do so many things in 24 mm -hmm. hours and I, I need to give this attention. And I mean, to some degree, I just need to be able to rest a little bit from having mm -hmm. two ministries going at the same time. Yeah. So. Well, it's yeah. a good mental health lesson for all of us, you know. I mean, find the thing that you're most passionate about and do it with your whole heart. And don't, right. you know, it's like Scripture says, you know, the one <clears throat> most needful thing. You know, yeah. we all have that needful thing to do. And right, and, and it's very true that discovering this passion for me has been incredibly pivotal in my ongoing mental health. I mean, it is a, a joy 
all the time, to be digging in the dirt, to be pulling the weeds, to be planting the seeds, to be organizing the volunteers, all that is very life-giving. <laughs> And yeah, and for our, our listeners, I mean, if that's the sort of thing that really piques your interest and you've, you know, felt yourself uh, really loving the outdoors, you know, that is a 100% legitimate means of supporting your mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not some like sideline thing. It's just a nice to have. I think for some people it is a primary need and things and- like... You know, forest bathing, they call it. I mean, that sort of stuff. Horticulture therapy. All these things are very real. And Mm -hmm. I I think need to be given more time in public dialogue as, you know, real effective means of improving and maintaining mental health. In the history of mental health care, you know, Dorothea Dix is a name that comes up. And she was insistent when she had uh, Holmes uh, treatment. Uh, homes built for those with serious mental illness that they be on grounds that were well maintained. The beauty of nature impact impacts the mind yeah. uh, a great deal. It's true. So it's been a great run, Tony. We've got a few more episodes to go. Yes. Today we have Debbie Taiki on the show. Debbie has been really with us and supporting our, our ministry, both the podcast and Faithful Friends, for seven well, years. Well, seven years now. Seven years Monday. Yeah. It, it come, we're right at seven years celebration for Faithful Friends. Yes. Yeah, so we, we were like, who are we going to have on these final episodes? And I was like, we need to have Debbie Taiki because she's yes. been so supportive. And you'll hear Debbie describe how her uh, ministry of art of invitation is uh, um, being developed, uh, but also her passion for for mental health advocacy and how that is uh, carrying into the realm of uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, and CIT crisis intervention team training. This is a great episode, talking about ministry and talking about civic engagement and helping law enforcement and the medical community be more sensitive. Let's pray. Oh, thank you. Loving Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for Debbie and her work and um, the path that she's following and faithfully carrying out. We thank you that we could uh, spend time together and put word out, put the message of hope and healing for people who have seen struggles and mental health and challenges. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to relax and share what's in our hearts and on our minds that um, it would be uh, glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, Eric, today we are happy to have with us in studio Debbie Tyke. Debbie is a personal friend and uh, is an advocate locally here in Columbus. Also has a ministry with Art of Invitation that we're going to talk about. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much. I'm super pleased to be with you. Debbie is our first guest down here in Studio E. And... (laughs) 
maybe two years. We can breathe a sigh of fresh air relief that we were safely vaccinated. We yeah. We've taken the necessary precautions. Well, you know, I, I think we were successful in the art of invitation <laughs> yes. to get Debbie down here this evening. <laughs> okay. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> good oh, yeah. transition. Thank you. Thank you. Good transition. <laughs> Debbie, you, you've written a book. I have. And it is officially published. It is. I have seen manuscripts probably over the last three to four years. Debbie gifted me with the book and the workbook. And I left a book with your wife. Excellent. Yeah. I have been working actually on this this approach for over 10 years, so it's a long time. Uh, It started with a conversation about relationship building. I I felt like I knew something uh, about relationship building and I didn't know if that came from my work or from you know just lived experience um you are a trained licensed clinical social worker right and um and I've worked in um long-term care I worked in elder abuse and neglect I did hospice work for a while and I've worked in the church and um I decided that I just thought of these various concepts and uh, I was asked to write a paper about the concepts for a seminary um, at one of our Lutheran seminaries. I'm Lutheran. The seminary president said he thought it was worth pursuing and wanted to know what I do a pilot project on it and that kind of was the genesis mm-hmm. of, of starting to write down the things that I had thoughts about. Um, I did a study early on, um, a man coached me with that, kind of looking at insiders and outsiders within um, the church culture, mm-hmm. and that was really my passion. I felt that there were a lot of people that um, were not connected to the church in the way that I thought maybe there was potential, and I was running a support group at that time or facilitating part of a support group at that time uh, that was pretty large, and um, watching people that often felt like outsiders in church culture feel really connected and a sense of belonging, and um, that just spurred a hunger for me to to think, could we improve there? Yeah. And so then that's when I started um, developing these ideas. And um, over time, uh, you know, social workers just don't make up stuff. You don't just say, hmm, I think I'll just kind of make up some ideas. Um, I yeah. think it was somewhat grounded in my work in history and things that I was taught, you know, as it is it came together. But I ended up partnering with the social work director at Indiana Wesleyan and did a a small exploratory study. And then we wrote a couple papers for the um, Journal of Christianity and Social Work. So there was a lot of um, development, reflection, a lot of piloting. I did lots and lots of piloting. Probably at the time I wrote the paper, um, I piloted with about 500 people in a lot of different venues. It would be um, small groups, um, church ministry retreats, some not-for-profits. I um, had been working with uh, the community corrections here in Columbus they, with uh, women that were recovering from um, substance use disorders. It was kind of at that point I thought, okay, I know I have something. And um, I really am not a writer, so getting it down into a book form took me 
a while. The videos that go along with it, that also took quite a while. So anyway, long story short, yeah. uh, or short story long, yeah. whichever it was, um, it's ready. Yeah. So a question. Yeah. Hospitality is a spiritual gift. It is. Right. How is the Art of Invitation alike and different from that sense of hospitality and that gift? Yeah, um, I love that, and I've thought a lot about hospitality because I believe um, uh, a, a recent teaching that I heard about Abraham was that he is known for hospitality. Abraham inviting the uh, strangers that mm-hmm. came was uh, known for hospitality, and that was a huge. Uh, that's a, that's a huge part of Jesus' um, example and the culture of the Bible, and so. Um, I think that when you think about being invitational, living invitationally, it is being open to all people and all experiences and also being open to the journey that we as individuals have kind of, we think about being invitational with other people, but also can we be invitational with ourselves? Can't we love our neighbor and also ourself? And that is a, a big part of going through the art of invitation is kind of discovering what that looks like in so many different contexts. Contexts. So, yeah. And this is uh, also, you might say, a style of communication. And it's in contrast to other forms that are less helpful, less inviting. Years ago, I had this um, conflict And I think on that particular day, I said to myself, I'm going to be invitational. I'm never going back, which was really ridiculous because, um, you know, I'm not always invitational. To your point, Tony, like when you think about being invitational, which is loving your neighbor as yourself, which is being open and welcoming, hospitable, and just really that sense of building relationship, having enduring, satisfying relationships, as opposed to being invitational, you could consider being presentational and confrontational. So see, right now I'm presenting an idea. Mm -hmm. That's normal. Um, confronting is the same as a difference of opinion. Where we get into trouble, and particularly in our culture today, is that people are presenting and confronting one another without the context of a trusting relationship. There is not mm. this sense that the other person is interested. You know, there's just this, this, this loud clamoring yes. back and forth. And even if it's not loud as in terms of volume, um, it's... It, feels very pressuring right the context of our world today it feels very divisive um, very ramped up and what we find is there's a lot of presenting of ideas and confronting of differences without really the respect or value for the other person Mm -hmm. i think that's a brilliant point you're making you know so um so in art of invitation there are really simple concepts like seeking to understand another without judging, fixing, or having an agenda. You see, most of the time it's really hard to listen because we are waiting for a response or we feel like we need to fix another person or we have an agenda. Mm-hmm. And in our world today, you know, well, I have plenty of agendas, gentlemen. I do, <laughs> you know, but what I've learned is if I push my agenda, Mm-hmm. hard against someone for which mm-hmm. it's not welcomed it's not hospitable mm-hmm. it's not invitational and it's really not going to go anywhere anyway i mean think about it if i present an I- idea or i confront you and you don't think i have any interest in how that affects you 
or any interest in your receptivity to it, how likely are you to listen? Mm. And you know, a number of our listeners are involved in churches and ministries. And what would you say an invitational ministry Mm. would look like? Yeah, so that's really interesting because I think that um, uh, that's where you seek to understand those that are involved in your ministry and they would be able to reflect back. Because I can have the best of intention, but if I am uh, not checking it out with you, Tony, to see how you're receiving it, I probably wouldn't know. And also, you know, I can think of a time, you know, I, when you were at Faithful Friends and I brought in a, 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 a friend who was really struggling. You know, are you remember yes. what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And um, so how would I know that you were invitational at that time? Well, it could be that she didn't feel comfortable being there regardless of your action, right? But if you wanted to know how she received that um that environment, that uh, group at that time, how would you know? Well, if she comes back, um, if she um, shared with you that she felt comfortable, you guys went out of your way to try to help her feel comfortable. And sometimes it's just a stab in the dark, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a stab in the dark, but it's the intention. The intention matters a lot. And then we observe what's happening and make the adjustment. And I think part of it is when you're being invitational and you don't have a response that you were hoping for, right. you don't shut that person off or mm. have any hard feelings. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be a very deliberate relationship that you're, you're willing to be rejected, mm-hmm. right, and, yeah. and not turn into something other than just, I, I, I'm here for you. Yeah, so if I intend to be invitational and I'm met with presentation and confrontation, then I have to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to match that with presentation and confrontation? Am I going to match that with the demeanor that the other person is giving? Or am I um, going to stay focused upon the person that I want to be, the values that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what we do in Art of Invitation going through it is really um, a discovery of a lot of self-awareness um, because once you get the basics down, then chapter four is about, well, what happens if we have conflicting values? Chapter five is, well, mm-hmm. what happens if our relational needs are not met? Chapter six is what happens if I have a lot of emotional dysregulation, big word. Yeah. Um, and chapter seven is what if we have the strong difference of opinion? So then the chapter eight is, well, what if I'm doing everything I know to do, but it's not working out? Where do I find that place of peace? So, you know, it's not as simple really as like putting a puzzle together or formula It really is in the art of invitation, helping people to become more Mm self-aware and to be more aware of the other person so that there's more of an opportunity to make that connection. Debbie used some of the art of invitation material that was in development uh, in a course we led uh, in Sunday school class at St. Peter's. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it it had a long title, but walking alongside people with uh, uh, mental health challenges and uh, 
I know I, I think it was, uh, it was very appropriate because uh, invitational communication is essential and also, and also lacking in many mental health corners <laughs> of the world. And I, I'd, I'd like to hear you reflect a little bit upon, upon that. Yeah, so I think that um, a lot of times, especially um, if we are feeling vulnerable or, or we have a need and it's going unidentified or, or maybe we're in a setting where we don't feel very comfortable or not very secure, then it's very hard to have this authentic relationship going on because it feels either forced or it's, it's um, you know, tender. Um, and so these simple principles of seeking to understand without judging, fixing, or agenda, sharing openly and honestly, caring, but also receiving care, these, these keys to invitation are really helpful because it kind of can help you get unstuck if you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're thinking to yourself, okay, so, you know, we've, we've got this um, stalemate in our relationship. What can I do? And you think, well, maybe I need to do a little bit better listening. And uh, I think I told you about a situation that I had um, with someone, and uh, I was really ramped up over it, super ramped up over it. And uh, even though I'm the author of the material, I just, you know, that was not at all in my head. I was very ramped up, and um, but all of a sudden, thankfully, I thought, wait a minute, I better listen, ask what's going on. Can you help me to understand what's going on here? And then all of a sudden there was this explanation and I was like, oh, well let me, my language, share openly and honestly. We had this situation clarified and all of a sudden the path went forward really well. And so, um, so I think when we get stuck in a relationship, the, what I'm pretty pleased about is in Art of Invitation, you have these simple concepts, they're super simple, um, but they are um, significant. You know, it's really significant to have the courage to share openly and honestly. It's really significant to receive care, for example, ask someone for help. Can you help me out? I don't feel comfortable with this. And um, that takes courage sometimes. Now, you said before we started that you you feel like this has been a long process to come to publication. It wasn't yes. just like you sat down in the study one night no. and, and cranked out a book. Uh, right. So you said that if uh, if no one else has helped, you feel satisfied the Lord has, has used this process. But you, you have started a website, mm-hmm. right? And a yes. blog or, yes. you know, what what's the web address? For- um, it's artofinvitation.org. And on the, um, on the, uh, website, you will find a series of videos. So the, the way a person learns Art of Invitation is really simple, and it can be a personal retreat. So say a person has one or two people that they really are in conflict with, or it's a real problem, and they really want to intentionally figure out, what can I do in this situation in order to love this person better or work things out? So it could be a personal retreat. It could be that people really want to honor the second command, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. They want to get better at that. So it could be for a personal reason. could be that there are ministry groups or even community groups. Um, I've done Art of Invitation with not-for-profits before or ministry leaders. Um, The studies show that there's really a universal application for the material because 
I think, because people yeah. are people, right? Definitely. And so, um, so sometimes people want uh, outsiders to feel like insiders in their group, and they want to be more alert to that. Sometimes um, it's just to build more connected community. We want to feel better in our space. I mean, wouldn't it be fun if we like had, for example, churches where we really always liked each other? You know, that would be novel. It does happen. <laughs> but there's a great deal of conflict, and it's usually not over like theology. It's over things that really don't matter, and we get revved up about it. You know, I get revved up about things. And um, so there's a lot of reasons, but really at the end of the day, for our lives as people, the relationships that we have one to another are usually, right, the glue, the, the joy, yeah. the, the things of life. And we don't necessarily invest intentionality in those things like we could. That's my passion. Yeah. But well, it's not your only passion. No. Yeah. I was going to say, when I think of invitation, it, it's often about, like, getting to know someone mm -hmm. or honoring a positive relationship that already mm -hmm. exists. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems like where you're taking invitation is more of a place where you can pivot in any relational circumstance mm -hmm. to that place to invite mm -hmm. a, a fresh start, yep. a fresh perspective, uh, a reset. That's a great, I love that language, Eric. I think that is a really great recap because the application of the art of invitation could be in my own personal family. It could be in a job setting. It could be, you know, um, if I'm in a public, say a public work group and I start getting upset, which this has happened, you know, with other people because they're not on the same page as me, it helps me to, um, to reset, to remember there are they're of value. This is a person of value. They're equally valuable to me. Mm -hmm. And that is yes. where, that's really where it has to be and remain because if we don't get things solved to the degree that I want them to be, the value of the individual is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you've done this. It is, as I've told you before, you know, your ministry, it's your lifestyle and the intention which you walk this good earth <laughs> and to be able to capture it and put it down is really important and Thank valuable you. and i hope it gets out to a lot of churches and well beyond that well thank you and in um just if I want to make sure that I'm clear, a person, it's really easy. You just uh, get onto the website. The videos are free. There's eight chapters. That seems like really a lot, but the videos are one or two minutes a piece. They're very short. Um, a Emmy Award winning uh, videographer mm -hmm. put That's them right. together. Dean. Yeah. Nice. Super good. And um, so I think they're engaging, easy to watch. And then there's a workbook page in the workbook that goes along with it. So it can be. Uh, for group discussion or individual purposes. Mm. Thank you. And we also want to share with our listeners and those that um, this invitational communication that you've uh, been pursuing uh, in ministry applies to uh, many real-life situations, and um, you are 
currently an advocate as well. Our listeners of, of many stripes are uh, mental health advocates and have been active in NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, say more about what drove you to mm. your advocacy work. Sure. So it's interesting. Um, today, I participated in our um, local county's um, crisis intervention team training for law enforcement, which is a NAMI program. And um, earlier in the week, I identified myself as a family advocate. But today, in partnership with uh, or in the same uh, thinking as the Art of Invitation, I reframed that. And I said, you know, I said I was an advocate before, and I really am an advocate, but I would like to really think of myself as a partner um, with the others that were there. Because um, I can be very, very, very frustrated with the system of care. And, and again, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I really understand a lot of the system of care from a professional uh, vantage point. But it wasn't until I experienced it with a family member that um, I think my passion, my um, desire for the system of care to have improvement was, um, you know, ramped up to the top. Mm -hmm. And um, so so it's been a growth area for me of, um, you know, having academic knowledge and then uh, tripping into personal knowledge of um uh, of a loved one who has a uh, mental health condition. And so over time, you know, that's kind of where my, uh, where my interests and passion. So I am an advocate. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of like myself that. as a partner. I like that language. And because of that, I mean, you more than just think that way, because I mean, your, your commitment to partner with agencies and people have has led our local police department to i mean not just you but you were instrumental in having the cit uh that i'm speaking at me and uh, a friend of mine john who's also a, has lived experience um so i mean your your commitment to partnership is paying off well, it's interesting, you know, you talk about my attitude of invitation, and um, so I was invited to be, a, you know, on the steering committee to plan for the training and to be a part of the CIT, and honestly, in my heart of hearts, I grimaced at it, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that, Lord. Can you say a little more about what a crisis intervention team yes, is? Yes, uh-huh. So, so um, as we all know, um, there's a lot in the news about when a person has a mental health condition and when the police are called, if they're not trained properly, it they can um, sometimes do more harm than good, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a man in the 1980s in Memphis, Tennessee, um, who was who had schizophrenia, um, a diagnosis of schizophrenia, and he was shot and killed. And so the um, mayor and I believe the local uh, police chief or the the local response was to start this training for law enforcement. And uh, so it it's gone all over the country. Um, we are one of. I don't know how many in Indiana. Um, not every community has them. I think Jackson County south of us is um, mm -hmm. looking at getting a CIT. So it is a movement because, you know, we, I, I, I'm not saying I agree with this, but, you know, even defending the police, all these things, you know, the police are under a lot of, um, what, 
pressure or uh, whatever. And, and so there is this need uh, for the law enforcement to, um, you know, to be trained and I think that yeah, it's there's a lot of expectations, e- expectation in thinking. a very yeah. split second type decision making. Yes, it's thank very you. Difficult. You know, I, I was struggling with words for it, so thank mm-hmm. you for that. And um, so I'm, you know, in our local community, um, it is law enforcement that really organized to want to have a CIT, and then they brought um, various people, partners in the community, and I was invited to be a part of that team. So I was going to go. I wasn't going to out myself as a family member. <laughs> so, and, and, and secondly, I wasn't even sure I wanted to participate because I have participated on initiatives and you know, I, I was lukewarm about whether I wanted to do it. For those of you listening that are Bible followers, I, I heard this like little song in my head saying, so Joni, you don't want to go to Nineveh, huh? You just don't want to do it. And I thought, yeah, that's right. And I heard, I, you know, not an audible voice, but I thought, you know, the Lord saying, well, you're going to sit underneath the fig tree and pout, are you? And I thought, oh, so annoying. <laughs> and, uh, so, God um, can be annoyed sometimes. Yeah, and so, um, so again, my my uh, you know perspective: be, go and be invitational. Go listen, Debbie. Go and listen. So I went to listen, and um, and I heard a lot of providers and a lot of people telling about the system of care. And I just sat there and I thought, well, that's not the way I experience it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to have to out myself. So when it was my turn to introduce myself, um, I said, well, I think that I am going to identify as a family member of someone with a mental health condition because really I'm not experiencing things the way that you are. And I feel like my best contribution to this group will be to identify there. And then I found out that our local NAMI affiliate really had kind of become an inactive. And um, so it, it's developed from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So w- when I think of CIT, from what I know of it, it a lot of it has to do with de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it seems mm-hmm. to be similar to like mental health first aid training in a way. I did go through that with some law enforcement people right. years ago. Mm-hmm. It is. There's some um, s- sensitivity training. It's sensitivity training. It's a lot of education. Um, you know, it's a 40-hour week, and uh, it's it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and I think that it it varies from, re- you know, from county to county what they include, but I think there's a lot of similarities. And, Tony, you're going to speak as someone with lived experience, mm-hmm. which will be powerful. I know you do a good job with that. Thank and, you. Um, uh, and and so to, for for a law enforcement individual to hear from someone with lived experience super helpful because otherwise they may not know, um, you know from from a person uh, who can describe what it's like they may mm. you know they just have to kind of guess. And you know I think there's so many benefits to doing this. I was meeting with my co-presenter today and he. He has a powerful story. We have a common pastoral uh, identity, but he also was, at the time of his episode, pursuing a career in law enforcement. Mm. Um, And so I think his story is going to resonate on that level because with the pressures we've talked about, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people in law enforcement are under a lot of Mm -hmm. mental health 
strain and some have a diagnosis and some don't or may develop diagnoses. Well, it was um, really obvious um, during the week that the people that are participating care a lot yeah. and they really want to do a good job. And, um, you know, listening to some of the things that they encounter, I think they're, it's very complex. Mm -hmm. They are asked to do a yeoman's task. And, you know, this is part of the whole 988 rollout now with the crisis team implementation Mm. across the country. 988 is to say more about that. Well, 988, instead of calling 911, um, that we soon will be calling 988 and various states are deciding, you know, how that system is going to, um, that's, this is for a mental health crisis. Okay. So for you're not familiar crisis. with that. No, there, there, it's interesting because that's part of my story. Now that ah. I know it's going to be 988, I'll okay. integrate that. <laughs> okay. Into, yeah. So, uh, um, and that's coming, I think by next year. Mm. So, um, Indiana, is um, my understanding is looking at like the Georgia model, but I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not in the know to know exactly what it is, but um, you know, we're studying as a state what other parts of the country um, are doing. So, it, so where the police, where the law enforcement are the first responders, it may look a little different down the way. Mm-hmm. And maybe there'll be like a receiving center instead of the emergency room for people yeah. to go to. Um, mm-hmm. We don't. Exa- I don't know. I'm not privileged on the inside story to know exactly what it's going to look like. But they are kind of looking for input. And as a matter of fact, I don't know when this is going to air. But on the 14th of November, there is this reimagine initiative I saw from NAMI, and it has a lot of stakeholders that are coming together to talk about like what do we want to see happen what are the advocacy issues that we want to see happen Mm -hmm. to have an improved system of care so it's very hot button right now Mm -hmm. um one of the law enforcement guys today said why aren't people hopping mad about the way the system is why aren't Mm -hmm. they hopping mad why do we have to have this and um and i said well you know we kind of are our own worst enemies some time because we like low taxes Mm -hmm. and what happened you know is in the 80s we had in indiana we had um our um it's my understanding but we had the uh what do you call that the um uh all the funds were grouped now i'm losing my word Mm, for it that's okay um, community block grants yeah the block grants and so you know we're we're in the deinstitutionalization it was thought that they would be funded properly they really weren't and and we've been recovering as a mental health system uh ever since and never really have recovered Mm. so in indiana we do not have funded act teams um, they, they were defunded years ago and like the mental health providers in this, in the managed care system, I mean, they have to deal with all these insurance companies and try to get reimbursement for it. So it's very complex. Mm. The issues are very complex. Um, the mm-hmm. providers have a lot going on. So I decided instead of complaining all the time, <laughs> because it's so frustrating when you have a loved one, you want them to have good care yes. and you can't figure out why it's so difficult mm. to get the care sometimes, yeah. you know, but there are reasons for it. And sometimes we are the reason because we want low taxes and we mm-hmm. want, you know, we want streamlining and these are complex and we're paying issues. for it in, in building new prisons and jails yes. already. I mean, financially even. Yeah. And well, money is not always a solution, right? It's not always money. It, there's a lot of other solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I'm I'm not yeah, trying I, to make it simple, right. you know. But I think 988 sounds like a really good step forward because of, it it helps identify root cause of things mm-hmm. that are going on instead of just having 911 as a catch-all for any emergency because right. responding mm-hmm. to a mental health emergency needs its own type of expertise. Well, there'll still be a need for law enforcement because when there's oh, a yeah. danger, oh, no doubt. you know, when there's a danger or there's oh, escalated yeah. anger or domestic violence or things like that. But that clue, I yeah. mean, the, the thing is, if you walk into a situation, you don't necessarily know there's mental health happening, right. you know, mm-hmm. a, a symptomatic situation. Right. You there, don't necessarily know. But if you do have a 988, yeah. it's like, oh, well, that's what mm-hmm. I'm walking into and you can... Mm-hmm. rely more on this education mm-hmm. and training because it's top of mind when you walk in this situation. two two models i'm aware of i think they're they're improvements whether they're working or not i don't know but actually bloomington uh an adjacent community to ours they have someone on staff at the law enforcement who has an msw or mm-hmm. has training with you know specialized training and that's you know that's their specialization um, and they go out on calls like this. I was talking again with my co- co-presenter, and he was saying that, you know, if you look at a lot of European countries, de-escalation has been a prime objective for years. Well, but, but I think your point uh, is that, you know, there are a lot of options to improving the system of care mm-hmm. in one of the good things about a CIT, once you get your uh, law enforcement, the, at least the first class trained, is that you can start looking at some system issues. And um, so I hope that we'll get to that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we have a, a key question. Yes. And it's, what, what does healing mean to you? Yeah, so um, as you know, I was thinking, what does wellness mean to you? But I think it's kind of the same. So I think of the um, the song, you know, it is well with my soul. Mm. And that kind of resonates with me because in the in the ups and downs, whether it's a, a you know fabulous day or not, whether my relationships are smooth or not, um, whether I am doing a good job on a podcast or maybe not. You're doing um, a great job. Thank Deb. you. And um, so, you know, it, it is well with my soul because there's this grounding place that I can find, you know, um, in the kingdom of God that is you're always at home. See, mm-hmm. you know, when you always have a home, a secure home, no matter what is going on in your life, then it's well with your soul. And that's a healing, you know, that's a place that you can always go to for healing. You know, um, it's kind of a sense of integration of um of the heart, soul, body, and mind. Because sometime if your emotions are kind of ramped up, then that can trip off your mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and then your body follows. But at any one of those places, you know, you can kind of turn it around a little at a time, a little breathing, um, you know, a a good night's sleep, a nice cup of... I love sleep tea at night. It's my, <laughs> I say every night before I go to bed, oh, isn't this tea just the best? And uh, so, you know, there are these remedies in life that help a person come back to a point of integration and this place of peace. Mm. And uh, so that's, I think, that just knowing that there's a pathway mm. um, is what I think means 
to me to have the healing. Mm. It is well. (laughs) (laughs) We're thrilled that you were able to be one of our guests here. Debbie, something I want to say. Last night I was praying uh, over at my parents' house. I'm I'm going through some work struggles right now. My my boss left. It's, you know, caused a lot of change. Mm. And I was praying and I was talking through feeling like I'm on the outside looking in. As I kept praying, it, it did really bubble up, like, in the kingdom of God, you're never on the outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really, mm-hmm. in that moment of prayer, there was a lot of peace in that because mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is an expansive place. See, we're always insiders. We're right. always insiders. We may not always feel like an insider. You right. know, uh, in Art of Invitation, we look at sometimes you're an insider who feels like an insider. That's the sweet spot, Right. But if you're an insider and you feel like an outsider, that's that place. That's that invitation to come back. Come back. Find your place at home. You always have a place at home. Mm -hmm. You're feeling outside. This is what you were saying, I think, is like I was feeling outside. That was a real experience in my life. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Didn't feel great. Right. You know, doesn't feel great. But somehow just by the realization that you have a secure home and connecting with that heart, soul, spirit, and mind. It's sometimes there's breathing. Sometimes it's a sunset. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes like, I don't know, do you ever have like a really bad restless night and you just can't get there? But then comes the morning. Mm -hmm. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, the peace is back with us. So, um, so there's no magic formula to perfect relationships or or a peaceful existence, but there is a path. I think Debbie's just like, I want to invite people to the kingdom of God because it's a good place mm. and uh, right. the door is always open. Mm. And please uh, join me here. Well, audience, I want to say also that I love Eric and Tony. They are my <laughs> friends and uh, I've learned a lot from their podcast. I'm probably very involved in um, the system of care revamp from an interview they did at one point with uh, Leslie Carpenter that was significant to me. So it's it's a pleasure to be here. Mm, Oh, it's great to have you. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie Taiki, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Wide-ranging conversation here. We started with Art of Invitation, which... I always find it interesting when you take a kind of a common word like invitation and really turn it into something a little more robust than common meaning. Mm-hmm. And for her, it's taking kind of that feeling of when you are wanting to give a person an invitation to, to something in your life and making that more of a just a lifestyle or communication mm-hmm. strategy. Yeah, I was just going to say, in the church when I was starting out in the 90s, early 90s, uh, <clears throat> they had a, there are all kind of ways to do evangelism. And one was called lifestyle evangelism. And mm-hmm. her Art of Invitation is a good program that uh, communicates a, a way to, to integrate uh lifestyle evangelism into just simple communication, yeah. whether it be the church or or beyond, just in making 
as she put it, I think, making an outsider an insider because in God's yes. kingdom, we are all insiders. Yes. And let's be clear, our invitation isn't about inviting someone to your church no, every Sunday. No, no, uh, that, no. It's much more than that. <laughs> right. It's really just setting a general conversational um, motivation mm-hmm. of of listening. It's about being in a posture of listening, the posture of non-judgment, the, the posture of just encouragement and mm-hmm. really wanting to invite that person into your life mm-hmm. with hopes that they'll invite you into theirs, but not necessarily expecting that. If you, you know? go to her website, artofinvitation.org, you'll see that this is something applicable for businesses or uh, family yes. relationships, uh, uh, community nonprofits. Uh, it, it can be uh, it, it can be good. Um, you know, she doesn't use these words, but it could be conflict management uh, in in any situation where you're trying to build community. Yeah, it, it's an invite into a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Um, not really an invitation into even a group you're in. I don't think it's it's about creating intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really glad she's been able to formalize this and put it into um, a really good workbook mm-hmm. with all of other nice resources around mm-hmm. it. So yeah, participant you, book and uh, leader group book as well. Artofinvitation.org. Yeah. Um, and this style of communication is critical in mental health relationships. And I saw how Debbie's commitment to invitational uh, <clears throat> communication is impacting the community uh, in my recent involvement with her in the CIT training. CIT stands for Crisis Intervention Team, and it's principally law enforcement officers who are equipped to respond to mental health crises. And I was part of the lived experience presentation with my friend John uh, talking about encounters we've had with the law Mm -hmm. and share some reflections on what went well, what what didn't go well, um, how we can improve, uh, how officers can be prepared. Um, Debbie's role was as a... uh, a community member invited to sit on the committee that were that was designing this, yes. and with her connection to National Alliance on Mental Illness (NAMI), uh, she was able to really inspire me and John to get trained to do what we did. Only 12 out of 72 counties in Indiana have CIT training, mm-hmm. and if you're listening to this in the state of Indiana or beyond, ask your local NAMI or um, local law enforcement if this is something that they're that they are already doing. Uh, if not, uh, I highly recommend you you look into that. A lot of bigger cities have something going yep. on. And we had mentioned this uh, probably a year and a half ago, but there was a death mm-hmm. very close to my house mm-hmm. that would have been prevented had law enforcement been trained in this and really 
it, known it, how to handle someone who had a mental illness. Yes. In that case, it was a confrontation between a citizen and a, a person that the law had encountered but had not assessed Well, as, they, as they did best. not follow through with a 72-hour court hold yeah, and there was, let him there maintain were freedom that yeah. then led to him being shot and killed there were by gaps a citizen. In their ability to assess and ascertain how how urgent the crisis was, you know, you're always going to have. I told the story of when I was in Rochester, New York, and I called. I mean, you're going to have gaps no matter how well prepared you are. Some sometimes I called a mental health crisis line. Well, the volunteer there had not been properly trained, mm -hmm. and they called nine one one, and somehow it was interpreted as a domestic abuse case. So three police cars with seven officers came out of their car, guns to the ready, and surrounded me um, until they uh, determined that, you know, the, the only thing I was holding was a Bible. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a gun. I was in slippers with no belt. You were going to beat them with the Bible, Tony. <laughs> beat them over the head with a Bible, with God's word. Uh, but uh, uh, the uh, – and, and Rochester's known as a very uh, – you know, pioneering city for its quality mental health care. I, I, I still say that it yeah. was just one of those things. And had I been, this is something I, I shared with the police officers. Had I been psychotic at the moment, uh, what, what happened in, in my earlier life at, at a psych unit when I was psychotic could have resulted in my death or someone mm -hmm. else getting hurt. Um, right. Uh, you know, the, the, the need to be very well-trained to respond to especially psychotic situations is uh, becoming, it's true wherever you are, uh, and especially the more homeless population you have, the more um, people there are. Right. Well, thank you and Debbie for speaking this week at the Crisis Intervention Team a, training. It was a That's blessing. Great. We hope to do more of it. And uh, other counties, Jackson County, we're in Bartholomew County. Jackson County is in the on the path to getting it going. Yeah. We, we need these in, across the country, as many places as possible. So thank you. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Lecturing. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm giving. I'm giving. You're talking about ninjutsu, Tony. I'm giving. I, <laughs> I don't know anything about it. My co-presenter is a blue belt, or almost a blue belt. I don't even know where a blue belt is. A yellow belt. I don't know yeah. what he is.